0: Welcome to Radio Utopistan episode number 10, the final story of our first season. It's been quite a journey. Uh, It led us to Canada, Gaza, Congo, and Guyana. And we are so happy you came along. Thanks for being with us, for sharing the stories and utopias with your friends and family, and some of you even with your students. Thank you. Also for leaving reviews, likes and stars. We are very grateful for this. Really, thanks. It helps us and our utopistas, the social change makers, whose work we want to amplify and interconnect. We also get some really sweet messages from you since last time. From India, this one here, for example. Quote... Radio Utopistan brings me hope in times of uncertainty. To see that small local change has the potential to change global history. End quote. Okay, yeah. At least that's the aim. Or this one here from Germany. The stories touch me emotionally. They give me hope and encouragement to pursue my own projects. Thank you. This gives us hope and encouragement. My name is Elisa Wedweit. I'm a journalist mostly reporting on the topics of natural resources and radicalism. So today we dive into narco country in the mountains of Mexico. One of those places where there is so much cruelty that it makes you question humankind. But even there, or maybe especially there, you can find beautiful and kind people. It's violent, but not like Netflix violence. Maybe you remember the 43 missing students of Ayotzinapa from a few years ago? The missing 43? That's where we will go today. You are about to encounter a very special little Pista, a priest fighting for peace, justice and accountability in a place where people get killed or kidnapped on a daily basis. His war on drugs is very different from the official version but I guess a lot more effective. So, no violence.
1: Yeah, no violence. That is, for me, my inspiration. But that doesn't mean that we are just, we are passive. We won't do anything and we will wait for the kingdom of God to come true and then we will be happy everyone. No. I think to achieve justice in peace and peace is fruit of justice we need to be disobedient. So to do a civil disobedience that doesn't mean to be violent that means that you will be disobedient with unjust laws. So when the law is unjust and then we have the right to be disobedient. Oh, me da miedo. Ah.
0: Before we dive into our utopian story of today, first a trigger warning. We'll go into very violent surroundings. so if you think the story might be too much for you today, please come back to it later or listen to one of the other episodes, where we are not that close to violence and the pain it causes. What you're hearing here is the swimming pool of the school of Ayotzinapa. And the splash you're hearing is Padre Philly jumping into the water with some of the students. I also jumped. It was quite refreshing and fun. Padre Fili is by no means a stereotypical priest, or at least what my stereotypes of priests are. He is 38 years old, wears an undercut hairstyle and drives around really, really fast in an old rickety car on bumpy roads. He has a big belly and an even bigger heart. He loves vanilla cream cake and hates capitalism as well as the patriarchy. Sometimes for lunch he has a mezcal with his colleagues to cheer to coraje, to courage. And he needs a lot of courage to do his work as Padre Fili is fighting for justice and some truth in the middle of a drug trafficking hotspot. On the fence between narcos, police, politicians, and desperate moms, dads, brothers, and sisters looking for their relatives.
1: When you choose this way of life, you know that your life is in danger. And every day becomes an offering because you don't know when it will happen. Yeah, it can happen anytime. There is a lot of enemies that won't be happy because... What you are doing is taking their privileges or open the eyes of the people. But we say one thing, if I want to gain life, I will lose it. But if I lose it, I will gain life.
0: This last sentence of Philly is a variation of the Bible quote I got for my confirmation ceremony. What a sweet coincidence. I'm not religious and left church a while ago. Actually, I officially left the day when Notre Dame was burning. Uh, But that's another story which also involves a Muslim man. Uh, I just find human belief systems very fascinating. The Bible quote goes like this. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And I guess that is what Padre Fili is doing, giving his life for a purpose he deeply, deeply believes in, being a light of peace and human dignity in the middle of one of the really cruel conflicts in the world. During the last 10 years, in all Mexico, at least 150,000 people were killed in drug-related violence almost as many as in 20 years of war in Afghanistan. The figures here vary between 170,000 and 240,000. And then there's another figure for Mexico, at least 40,000 people disappeared. Some figures even go up to 90,000 disappearances. This for me is even harder to get my head around or understand. 90,000 people, a whole city of disappeared dads, husbands, sisters, brothers, sons, and daughters.
1: Even in the midst of the evil of the world or the narcos, they have some humanity in them. And I think Christianity and nonviolence means even to look them as humans. And it's hard when you know that they had done a lot of evil things. And when you listen them, their stories, they are not different from other victims. Most of them, they came from a, a violence system in their families when there were children, when they grew up in this narco environment. They are victims of their own system.
0: The official war on drugs failed dramatically, worldwide. Drug consumption is increasing, death toll is rising, and prisons are full. There are only a few exceptions, Portugal for example, there they have focused on decriminalization and prevention and have been quite successful. But apart from that, the war on drugs mostly failed. Almost as disastrous as the war on terror failed in Afghanistan this summer. So maybe it's a good idea to rethink our wars in general. Padre Fili in Guerrero, Mexico, he tries to implement a new mindset in one of the hotspots of cartel and drug violence. He tries not to divide the world in good and evil in victims and perpetrators. All are suffering within the same system, he says. We all are suffering within the same system. For this episode, I went back to church, here with some fireworks in the background. haven't been to church for a while, but for Padre Filia, I would have gone almost anywhere. He was on our list of utopistas we wanted to talk to right when we started Radio Utopistan, more than a year ago. Anushka from our team, she had met him during a voluntary service in a home for refugees in Oaxaca in Mexico. That time he was supporting migrants who got caught up by hunger, diseases or cartel violence on their way up from South America to the US. Filiberto, who was at that time still known as Hermano Fili, Brother Fili, he had left a deep impression on Anushka. So we put him on top of our list of people we wanted to listen to on Radio Utopistan. And if this is your first episode of our little radio show, let me give you a short introduction. Radio Utopistan is a platform for social change makers. We believe in the power of constructive storytelling and in a more just future. We believe this is possible and we believe this is really, really needed, not to say urged these days and therefore we are interconnecting bold ideas and visionary people from around the world. You can also have a look on our Instagram account. There are more stories and in the other episodes. We do this to inspire hope, to emphasize peace and to build little cells of community. We invite you to be part of it, to connect to Utopistan Radio, Utopistan on Instagram or on our website and hopefully soon in real life at events and festivals.
1: We have a case of a young man who studied in Tasco Guerrero from in the countryside, also very poor reality there. But he had the opportunity with the support of his parents to move to Tasco and to start studying. And he just stopped calling them. So they came to see where he was and he was missing. So they were searching for him. In these búsquedas that we do, these caravans of families who have a lost one, and we go to search them on the fields, on caves and creeds, mountains and fields. And he was there, his parent. I remember him. He worked with us in a cave where we rescued three bodies, parts of the bodies, of so people who had been thrown on that cave. And then he found his son near where the fields of Amapola, where they produce heroin. So we believe he was being a slave. And that is what is how we need to name it. It's the new slavery in America. Young people being a slave on the fields, working just for, for nothing, until they lose their lives.
0: So even here, in the middle of the worst atrocities, there are autopistas like Padre Fili, people that shine a hopeful light on all the darkness around them, people that make you laugh and dance when all you really want to do is cry and hate all humankind. There is so much pain and trauma within families, communities, and whole cities in Guerrero, the state where Padre Fili is living and working. And then there is this saying, hurt people hurt people, traumatized people traumatized people, at least if they don't get out of the circle somehow. And that's what Padre Fili is doing. He wants to break those circles. He wants corruption, injustice, and responsibilities to be revealed and the souls to heal. He tries to slow down this ever-escalating circle of violence, at least a little bit. Of course, his work is dangerous, but he says the more people who know his name and work, the more protected he is. So that's why he appears here in this story with his full name and his real voice. And if you want to support him, you can share his story, his name, and the organization he built, Centro Minerva Bayo. We put the links in the show notes. He has two psychotherapists, a lawyer for human rights and a healer with traditional medicine working with him.
1: St. Francis of Assisi, he went to talk with the wolf and asked him why he's attacking the, the ships. And he tried to convince him that he stopped that. So that is what we are trying to do here, to talk with the wolves. And that's not easy, but that is my role and and my task.
0: I was hesitant to fly into Guerrero-Naco country. Of course, I mean, it is a violent and dangerous place. So I asked for security evaluations from colleagues who had worked in that area. They said it's generally not really safe in Mexico, always depending on the region or barrio you are moving within. But I would not get into additional trouble for doing my job as a white journalist there my colleague said. It is Mexican journalists who are in real danger. It's the deadliest country for journalists in the world. Since the year 2000, more than 100 have been killed. They risk their lives doing their job, and I have the deepest respect for what they do. So if any Mexican journalists are listening, thank you for your courage. Thank you for your work. Me being white and having a German passport I didn't get into any dangerous situations. Also, I was never alone in Guerrero, always was with Padre Filios or somebody from his team. It was in February this year. In that one week in Guerrero I visited more church services than in the two years previous. Here, the sounds you can hear, we are simply on the street in a suburb. People had stretched a large cloth between a statue of Mary and a house on the other side of the street. Underneath the cloth they had arranged plastic chairs. Dogs were roaming around between the feet of the believers. Padre Fili had come with his rickety car parked directly in front of the statue of Mary Gotten into his white and green Padre robe, straightened his undercut hair in front of the small altar. All church services I attended, Padre Fili condemned violence, corruption, and greed, and encouraged people to help themselves out of misery. Once, on the way back into his car, I asked him about it. He said, A revolution is needed. <laughs> Here he is basically saying he wants to encourage people to do something, but not with violence, because violence always is causing more violence. Somebody will always take advantage of it. But people should organize, like the communities of the Zapatistas, for example, these are independent indigenous communities, especially in southern Mexico and Chiapas. They have built a parallel structure to the state, autonomous, independent, self-government. And they are actually tolerated by the state of Mexico by now. They themselves take care of their health care system, education system, and even police and jurisdiction. Philly is trying to set off this spark here in Guerrero.
1: Entonces, por ejemplo, si les enseñamos a las víctimas...
0: So he's saying if we show the victims here that the origin of their suffering is so much bigger than the narcos and the government, the government that is not protecting them, and if we show them that we have to fight against this bigger force, the system, then you give them a new sense in their life, because so far they don't see the source of their suffering within capitalism. They see it directly in the man holding the gun and killing their brother, Padre Fili says. They don't see it within the system that made the man take the gun and kill their brother. But for him, for Padre Fili, he says, for him those murderers, those narcos, criminals, or who, however you want to call them, They are also victims of that same system. The young people in Guerrero don't really have options, he says. Not so many other options than to work for the narcos and then to become a narco
1: themselves. He
0: has seen the images Netflix paints about those narcos, he says.
1: Yes, I had seen them, and sometimes they made me laugh because, you know, it's just like a caricatura, like a cartoon about reality. I think media, especially, you know, the American way to do movies, they have been putting a stigma of how a Mexican narco is. You know, with these rifles with gold, on the rifles and with a lot of money and and well-dressed but the narcos i had met they dressed like campesinos They are no how the the media pictured them
0: Hmm. so would you say those netflix series even made it worse also within mexico that they they painted this picture of the narco hero kind of yes pop figure, someone to admire.
1: Yeah, that has made a lot of damage to the young generations. Because if you had these young men who watch those series, they want to be like that. And they will find maybe the ways to be in that kind of work, but they will be killed because that world doesn't work like Netflix series. Most of the victims that we walk with, that we help, have been young people. Most of the disappearance has been of people under 20s because they are like the first line on this narco war. They will be the first one who police will kill or disappear. Because the justice system and the forces, security forces, they are not stupid to go after the big lords or the ones who can fight them back because they are paid for them. They will receive their medals and recognitions because they have killed young people who had dreamed to be at drop Lore because this series has liked them
0: That's why Padre Fili is spending a lot of time with the students of Ayatollah the school where the 43 disappeared and 6 others were killed the students were on their way to a demonstration in Mexico City when they got attacked by police this was in 2014 but until today we do not know what exactly happened that night and why Some deadly mix of corruption and cartels, politicians and police. It caused a huge outrage in Mexico. The story went around the world. Padre Fili's heart of justice was cold. He followed and never left the place. First, he didn't have a home in Ayotzinapa and stayed in an empty trailer with just a bed inside. That's where we recorded the interview. He also didn't have a job, but convinced the priest in charge of the district to give him some tasks. Now even the bishop is fond of him and made him an official Padre of the church. And Philly is fond of the students. One can see that when he is driving with them in his car, inviting some of them to dinner in the village, or wandering around the compound having chats and beers here and there, he knows almost everybody's name, nickname and their family history. The school has a campus with sports grounds, a cafeteria and students dormitories. I also spend a night there. The place has a very strange energy. You can feel that something monstrous must have happened. You can feel it with every step you take on the school ground. Every corner looks like a memorial to a massacre. In the rooms of the students on the walls of the hallway everywhere there are the faces of the 43 and the numbers 4 and 3. In the canteen, for example, their portraits hang in a circle on the walls and watch everyone eating. We had spaghetti and beans from big pots, some salad and a slice of tomato. Ayitsinapa is a school for poor boys from the villages, an escape option. Whoever gets a scholarship can study here to become an elementary school teacher. And every day they are surrounded by slogans like, quote, They were taken from us a life, a life we want them back.
2: In 2014,
0: the students of Ayotzinapa had hijacked buses to go on a demonstration against the government. It's a rather criminal ritual, they do it every year, so far without any problems. But on this particular year, there happened to be a drug load of heroin worth two million dollars in two of the buses they hijacked. At least that's one of the theories around that night. Nothing is 100% proven. There was no court ruling or anything so far. But there are recorded phone calls and messages that indicate that this might be a theory very close to reality. Padre Fili also believes in this drug load on at least one of the buses. What's definitely true is police stopped the students, shot at them and chased them through the city. Some of them shot with weapons from a German arms manufactory that were exported illegally. More about this issue in the second part of this episode. At the end of the night, six students were dead, one was in coma, and 43 were just disappeared. I was able to talk to one of the survivors. We call him Daniel. He said we can call him by his nickname, but we would rather not. There have been many more killings and disappearances since that horrific night. Also, students of Ayutthaya have been killed since then. We met in the middle of the night, just a few hours before I had to leave Guerrero. I was already exhausted and overwhelmed by all the stories and pain I had listened to the days before. And then he told me about that night. I only asked how and where we should start with this long and heavy story of his, and he just started talking and wouldn't stop for more than half an hour before I could even ask another question. Es una historia muy muy larga, muy grave.
2: Este, pues todo empezó el 26 de septiembre de 2014. Fue la trágica. Le llamamos Noche Trágica, ¿no? Porque empezó desde esa vez. Eh,
0: eh, he is telling the story as if he was reliving the whole night they call y, eh, La Noche Trágica, the tragic night, in minute detail again, as though he didn't know at the very moment he was Teníamos telling the story whether he had really survived that night.
2: Pues pasaron las camionetas y empezaron abrieron un fuego contra nosotros directamente hacia hacia acá. Fue en ese momento donde cayó el compañero Aldo y pues le dieron en la cabeza.
0: Here he says that suddenly pickup trucks drove by and opened fire on them. They shot one of his fellow students in the head, Aldo. Daniel and the others ran crawling along on the ground, looking for safety
2: somewhere. a al otro
0: he says they have a brotherhood at the school that tells them never to leave someone behind, so they didn't want to leave their injured compañero on the street. They were even thinking of killing him to spare him suffering, to save themselves and leave the Nos
2: decían varios compañeros, ¿no? Que nosotros pasáramos arriba del compañero, matarlo y salvarnos nosotros. But they
0: remembered the brotherhood, he says, and didn't leave their colleague behind. We always must stay by the side of our friends, right? Then his life flashed before his eyes. He recalls the moment. The way you see it in movies or books, he says. He remembered his family, his girlfriend, the plans he had for his life. But he managed to escape. Police chased them through the city of Iguala all night. Danielle and some others found shelter with a woman who led them into her apartment in the early morning hours. The next day was like waking up from a really bad dream, he says. When they came back to the school, many parents and relatives were waiting there. Llegando aquí,
2: pues ya estaban los padres de familia, ahora sí que esperando a sus hijos a que bajaran del autobús y se llegaran a encontrar. Fue un momento de de esa impotencia, ¿no? Y ese momento de tristeza.
0: He says, when they stepped down from the buses, the parents hugged them. He felt very sad and helpless seeing the parents who couldn't find their kids. He didn't know what to tell them. One mom asked him about her son who didn't answer his phone. He only told her that he doesn't know, didn't see him, and she burst into tears, had a nervous breakdown. They all were totally confused, he recalls. In shock, of course. And still felt it was something like a bad dream. Like they should wake up soon. But that dream became more and more real. And later the dead bodies of their comrades were brought to the school. It was the hardest punch that Ayazenapa ever received, he says. To have those dead comrades and 43 desaparecidos, 43 comrades just vanished. They could never have imagined that something like this could happen to them, but it happened. If you want to know more about that night and how the guy we call Daniel experienced it, you can find the whole interview on our Patreon page in Spanish. Here and now we'll jump ahead. The morning and first days after that night when they came back to the school and slowly, slowly started to realize what had happened, that morning ignited a spark within the students of Ayotzinapa and all over Mexico. It started an uprising. Millions of people went to the streets and demanded justice for months. Not only for the 43 of Ayotzinapa, but in general, an end to violence and corruption in Mexico they demanded. In the Caribbean, where I stayed before and after my trip to Guerrero, I met people who had been part of those demonstrations in the capital and in other cities six, seven years ago. They still got very emotional talking about it. It's a national trauma and also some kind of an utopia for Mexico, those 43 desaparecidos and the fight for justice in general. Some things have changed since 2014, some haven't. We'll dive deeper into this in part 2 of the episode. As for the case of Ayatollah, there are various theories regarding the motives of the different parties involved that night and what happened to the 43. But nothing is confirmed, nothing is clear. There are high-ranking politicians involved, the military, the police, the secret service, maybe also some of the students. On the Israeli spyware Pegasus was used on suspects and on parents missing their kids and trying to get them back. The man who bought the spyware for Mexico later led the investigation of the case of the 43, Tomas Theron. He was accused of kidnapping, torture and manipulation and fled to Israel where he had bought the spyware from. Mexican government later asked for extradition. Israel did not hand him over so far. I guess we will never really know all the dirty details of that night, all the cruelty and all the greedy motives. And maybe we don't really want to know. Do you want to share what's your theory what happened, or rather not?
1: Yeah. The, there are no perfect systems. And sometimes when they are perfect, there will be always, say, like... A, They are infected. Before the COVID, we have another infection here in Mexico, in Guerrero. And that is called hunger. When there is hunger, you can kill for food. You can do a lot of awful things because you want to survive on the system. So this is like a metaphorical way of saying it. There is... The three elements or three types of people who participate in this in disappearance and in these attacks.
0: In short, here Philly is saying maybe some students knew about drugs inside the buses and had a deal with one of the cartels. One, this is one element or group or explanation. Then, second, the cartels themselves. If there wasn't the drug trafficking route between Iguala and Chicago, there wouldn't have been any drug fight, he says. And third element of group, the corrupt government. Because without corruption, you couldn't move drugs around in that area, Philly says. But at
1: the bottom of that is the drug trafficking, the heroin. And where this goes, to the states. So what is the responsibility of the United States, of the American people, That are the first consumers of the heroin. Their heroin is, has blood, their drugs has blood. So in the bottom of that is that system, no, they can buy, they have the money and they don't care where this came from and what needs to happen to be produced.
0: When the students of Ayotzinapa sit together and drink beer, they talk about the stuff people talk about everywhere when they sit together and drink beer. Life, love, music, food. But in Ayotzinapa, where you see the faces of the 43 everywhere, these talks seem to be carried out in the shadow of a very big even though, at least for me it seemed that way. They talk about food even though 43 of them are missing. They talk about relationships and music, even though 43 of them are missing. In the room of one of the leaders of Ayatsinapa, there is a statue of Justitia standing on the table. The lady with blindfolded eyes holding the scales of justice in one hand and a sword in the other. She is standing there among 20 year old boys from rural mountain villages. She's standing on a wooden table among an ashtray and USB stick, post-it notes, a bottle of Yves Saint Laurent perfume, and some coins. The boys fight for justice, and sometimes they do use violence. They want their comrades back. They want to see that somebody is held accountable for what happened. Last year, for example, they protested in front of some government buildings. They lit a fire that destroyed parts of the buildings. Fili says he never participates in any violent acts and tries to convince the students that other forms of protest are more helpful. But he understands them.
1: Sometimes we need to break the laws to make possible the law of life. And I think life is bigger than whatever law any man can can write down.
0: Yeah, but um, where where do you draw the line then of what's okay and what's not okay? I mean, here also some guys painted at the walls at the school here, like Che uh, Guevara and even Lenin and, and Stalin. I mean, they also thought breaking laws will bring life and... But they definitely went too far And they destroyed many lives So, um, I mean um, There's a very fine line Between uh, breaking the law And uh, being self-righteous, right? And um, how do you know That you're still on the right side?
1: Okay Um, So We have The human rights And the human rights there are for everyone when someone is losing their life that is the line the line continues being life and if i had to protect a life even i had to break the rules break the, the laws and even expose in my life i will do it there is one thing we had to do and we had to don't be part of the oppression system when we try to promote the human rights. And that is the peace and no violence So if we had the clarity of these two elements, peace and non-violence, that will save us for imposing our rights on other people. So... I'm Christian, I follow Jesus, I have studied theology, and I knew that before Jesus choosing to be with the wealthy or with the powerful, he always chose to be with the poor and the oppressed. So that is where I draw the line.
0: So no violence.
1: Yeah, no violence. Uh, that is, for me, my inspiration. But that doesn't mean that we are just we are passive. We won't do anything. And we will wait for the kingdom of God to come true. And then we will be happy, everyone. No. I think to achieve justice and peace and peace is fruit of justice, we need to, to be disobedient. So, to do a civil disobedience, that doesn't mean to be violent. That means that you will be disobedient with unjust laws. So, when the law is unjust, then we have the right to be disobedient.
0: Some parents and relatives of the desaparecidos are convinced that their kids are still alive. Here, Philly, two of his colleagues and I are invited for lunch in the house of Cristina. She made pozole verde, a soup from green tomatoes with chicken. We are sitting in the hallway on the second floor of her house. White tablecloth, wooden chairs, and dishes made of clay with patterns. Jesus is watching us from his cross. Mother Mary is also there. Christina's son went missing one and a half years ago. He never came back from a basketball game. Friends told her they saw how police took him. Police didn't say anything. She
2: says...
0: How is it possible that my son is still missing, she says. My son has to turn up because it just cannot be that he is nowhere to be found. Also at the table there is a mom of one of the 43 and an uncle of one of the 43. They are talking about whether they are still alive or not. One woman is asking another woman if she can feel in her heart whether her son is still alive or not. The other woman says, yes, she feels. She feels that her son is working, that they took him to make him work for them. But then there are people who tell her that the 43 must all be dead by now. And sometimes she says she just wants to believe this, but she simply cannot. She just cannot accept that she says. Cristina, the lady who invited us and whose son never came back from a basketball game, she also says that she still De la esperanza her.
1: vivimos. De la esperanza. Sí. Lo último que perdemos es la esperanza.
0: Sí.
2: Pero si la perdemos estamos perdidos. Exacto. Sí.
1: La esperanza es
0: Hope is the only thing they have. They agree. It's the energy and force that keeps them going. The male voice. He is Meliton Ortega. He's a spokesperson for the parents and the relatives of the 43 of Ayotzinapa. One of his nephews is one of the missing students. Meliton is a carpenter in a village three hours bus ride away from the city where Philly and Christina are living. Meliton came because today there's a memorial service for the disappeared in Philly's church, and even the bishop is coming. Meliton doesn't really care much about the Catholic Church, he says. He's more invested in Tlapanek, his indigenous culture, which is also a language, his mother tongue. He came to honor the missing, of course, he says, and also to talk to people and media about the missing 43 and the missing justice. Like Philly, his desire to change the situation outweighs his fear to become a victim of the situation. Melitin was spied on with this Pegasus software, recent investigations revealed. Maybe he still is. But what he is more afraid of than of the cartels, the police or politicians is covered, he says, that it will stop him from his fight, his work. Todavia hay tantas cosas que hacer, he says. There are still so many things to do. So, Melaton almost never takes off his mask, even outside. La
1: teoría the en conjunto, colectiva que hemos manejado es que los estudiantes fueron atacados por el Estado Mexicano.
0: His theory is, is, he is saying that the State of Mexico is responsible for making the 43 disappear, and then later for hindering and complicating the investigation of the case. Meliton says, with this attack, the state wanted to set an example and intimidate the social movements of Mexico. Because the school of Ayatsinapa is connected to a very wide range of protests. Farmers who are protesting against land grabbing, for example, and school teachers who are protesting for free education. Melton says that this attack was an act of distraction and intimidation, so the state didn't have to deal with the structural reforms for energy for supply, for example, or telecommunication or social justice. The government of Mexico changed since Lana and The current president, López Obrador, asked for forgiveness, but only for the previous government's cover-up of those responsible for the case. Some have faith that the investigations now will proceed quicker, others don't. Mexico remains a violent state. During the recent midterm election campaigns, 90 politicians were killed and 780 assaults were reported. Padre Fili doesn't believe much in politicians but rather in God and his daily fight for freedom and justice so next episode we will follow him around a bit more we'll accompany him and Christina the morning mum with the delicious Pozole Verde and the missing son to the Forensic Institute of Guerrero where all the unidentified bodies arrive, to see if she can finally find peace. We go up into the mountains to a Mezcal factory to see if Padre Fili can organize a side hustle and some extra money for his human rights organization, Centro Minerva Beyo. And we'll try to find out how this is all connected to the German arms trade and jurisdiction. There will be a court ruling from the highest court in Germany And there will be a message from Padre Fili that his nephew was kidnapped and his family will have to pay 1.5 million Mexican pesos, 76,000 US dollars, as ransom. Tune in and find out what this is all about. It will be out within the next two weeks, something like this. Thank you so much for listening this far already. So, you are curious about utopias, huh? And you are a little utopian yourself beautiful tell us we are curious about your utopia what is it what is it a world without violence a world without bosses a world with plenty of affordable housing mangoes and fresh water tell us on our website or on social media we want to know we really want to know and if you know someone who could need a little utopian inspiration, please share this episode with them. Or another episode of Radio Radiotopistan. Maybe the one about unconditional basic income in Berlin, or the one about renewable energy in Gaza. Thank you for sharing, and thank you for leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us a lot. And if you want to make a monetary contribution, you can become a Patreon member, or even a real member of Radio Utopistan. All the information is on our website and in the show notes. On Patreon you'll find additional content, for example the interviews with Philly and the survivor of the Notched Tragica, in full length. So much for now. Thank you again for being here and for being Utopian. Talk to you in part two, looking forward to that. My name is Elisabeth White. Radio Topos and team for this episode are Executive Producer, Christina Femubus. Research Support, Anushka Eckert. Proofreading, Gavin Steingo. Music, Robert Pilgram. I leave you with the Campesino Choral from Guerrero and the Hymno della Lucha, Anthem for the Struggle. Thank you and bye.